Hi, my name is Colleen. The Old Testament reading is found in Psalm chapter 103, verses 1 through 5. Let my whole being bless the Lord. Let everything inside me bless his holy name. Let my whole being bless the Lord and never forget all his good deeds. How God forgives all your sins, heals all your sickness, saves your life from the pit, crowns you with faithful love and compassion, and satisfies you with plenty of good things so that your youth is made fresh like an eagle's. The word of the Lord. The New Testament reading is found in Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle, sent neither by human commission nor from human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the members of God's family who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. If you're able, please stand for the gospel reading found in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 20. It was still the first day of the week. That evening, while the disciples were being behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, the gospel of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, New Life Downtown. Meeting temporarily at the World Prayer Center at New Life North. It's great to see all of you. Listen, as Pastor Jason said last week, thank you all for your patience, for your flexibility, for your persistence in gathering together. We know that the church literally means the assembly of the people of God, and the people of God need a place to assemble, but you've been very creative about all the different places you've assembled from your own homes about 18 months ago to uh, the living room at New Life North, to the theater at New Life North, to the Antlers Hotel, to the World Prayer Center. Look, I've been on staff at New Life Church for 21 years. Really, I'm just taking you on a trip down memory lane to all the different (laughs) places I've been at New Life, and you can kind of see, no, thank you for being so flexible and rolling with this. We do hope uh, this will all come to an end fairly soon, and we'll, we'll be able to get back to Palmer High School and those squeaky chairs in no time at all. I also want to say how grateful I am to be part of uh, a team like the team that we have here at New Life. Uh, you know, when, when you stick around for 21 years, they start inventing titles for you. So I, I am sometimes called the associate senior pastor at the church, which means sort of like the assistant to the regional manager uh, kind of thing. I'm basically Dwight uh, here. And, uh, and, uh, and so I, I got to lean into some of that role this summer and uh, visit some of our offsite congregations and encourage and preach uh, at Midtown and at East and Friday night. And then, of course, the last three Sundays uh, at New Life North. But here's what I love about this, not only the wider kind of New Life family, but also that right here at New Life Downtown, our goal is to be a church that beyond Sundays, we are a community that is made up of, the, uh, made up of people whose gifts, everyone's gifts 
is strengthening one another. It's not about the gifts of a few, but it's about all of our gifts beyond Sundays, beyond a platform, beyond a stage. But even on Sundays, it's not about the gifts of a few. And so I'm so grateful. You know, Jason and I, we don't view this as like the main teacher, then you've had the substitute teacher for the last three weeks or whatever. Uh, Jason and I very much view this as a partnership as we're teaching together. And I know that you feel that way too. So I just want to say a huge thank you to Jason, in particular this summer, teaching as, as much as you did. And it's been, it's been tremendous. And, and I've got the next few weeks, and he's going to pick up again. You're going to hear lots of him in the fall. So there might be several moments in you know, the next two or three weeks where you're like, I actually like that Jason guy better, Glenn. So, which is good, and you should. And I'll do my best to uh, tilt you that way. <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's begin with a word of prayer, and we will open up the scriptures together this morning. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you're the God who speaks, who calls, and that your calling creates you call light out of darkness and the creation of the world came to being and you call us out of darkness and into the light and new realities emerge and so for all of us here we pray again that as we listen to your word that you would call to us call us to yourselves change us challenge us transform us we pray in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and everybody said amen well i thought i'd start with a confession I'm not a fan of barbecue. Now, I know if you're from Texas or Memphis or Kansas City or Carolina, you're praying for my soul right now. Why don't you like barbecue, Glenn? I don't know. In fact, for years, and you can ask the staff this, for years when we would have to cater something for a staff get-together or a function at the church, I'd say, please, don't do bird dog barbecue or wherever it is that the church likes to cater from. I just don't like it. Until about a year and a half ago. About a year and a half ago, a friend said to me, he's like, Glenn, I need, you, I need to make sure that you're going to be at your house on such and such a date and time. I said, why? He said, I've got a gift coming your way. I said, okay, but why do I need to be there? Because it's kind of large. I said, okay, well, can you tell me any more? He goes, okay, I'll just tell you. And he said, I found a deal on Amazon on something called a Traeger. And a Traeger is a meat smoker, and it was a mid-level sort of model. And he said, I've got this great deal, and I'm sending it to you as a gift. And I thought, wow, that, I mean, that's quite a gift. Like, thank you. That's an amazing gift. Um, I didn't tell him that I don't like barbecue. Uh, so, so I said, okay, well, let's see how this goes. So it arrives, and it is a gigantic box, and I assemble this thing and get it out to the back deck, and I'm thinking, what do we do with this thing? You know, I'm putting pellets in. I'm trying to figure this out. And first, I just use it as a normal grill. You know, we're doing burgers. Oh, yeah, not bad. It's pretty good. A little hickory flavor to it. And then I thought... I got to try this thing. It's a meat smoker. We got to try. So I bought a brisket from Costco and we did the whole thing. And my kids were like, yeah, not bad, you know. And then I started talking to people and started getting tips. And I'm watching Aaron Franklin uh, videos on YouTube and like Googling different recipes and rubs. And a friend comes over and he's like, listen, this is what you got to do 24 hours before. And this is the secret thing that you do. And you put it in the fridge and all. And I'm getting up at 5 a.m. to start the smoking part. All of a sudden, I'm like smoking beef brisket. I'm smoking pork butts. I'm doing all of it. I'm smoking our Thanksgiving turkey. And the guy who doesn't like barbecue is now like, I've gotten into it. Some gifts change everything. (laughs) Some gifts change things about yourself. 
Some things change the way you spend your time. Some gifts change the way you relate to the world around you. I mean, for all of you parents in the room, think about the gift of a child. I know there's some of you that are expecting your first child. You're like, this is a gift from the Lord. It, it, children are indeed a gift from the Lord, and they change everything. And you, you have to recalibrate and adjust and to say, okay, how do we think differently about our weekends? How do we think differently about our nights? How do we think differently about vacations? It changes everything. Some of you are like, I never liked babies. I never liked kids. And then you had one and all of a sudden you're like, you do, bye, bye, da, da, da. And you're like, I, something just came over you. Some gifts change everything. Galatians is about a gift that changes everything. We're going to be in this series for a couple months here through this letter of Galatians, and I really encourage you to sit down and try to read it in one sitting. It'll probably take you a half hour or so. I did it again recently this week, just read through it all in one sitting, and, and read it like you would read a letter, and get a sense of this. Paul has, it's Paul's strongest letter. Paul is the most frustrated he is in any of his letters, and Galatians is about something revolutionary. We've called this series the Revolutionary Gospel. And we've called it that on purpose because this is a way that makes us think about the gospel in a way that might blow up your boxes. Maybe you're not familiar with Christian stuff and you're like, the gospel, isn't that what Christians talk about where you sort of say a prayer and say that you believe in Jesus and then you get out of jail, I mean get out of hell, and you get to get to heaven and maybe you've been in church for a long time and you thought, well, the gospel is sort of like forgiveness of sins and something stuff about the afterlife, right? Or maybe when all of the conversations about race and all of those divisions that were, that were highlighted last summer, you, you heard people say, pastor, just preach the gospel because the gospel is just this about me and sins and heaven and hell and afterlife. Galatians presents a gospel that's going to blow apart our boxes, it's going to recalibrate everything about your life. It's going to make you think differently about who you are in relation to God and about who you are in relation to others. It's a book that presents the gospel in an explosive way. And today, part one, we're going to talk about the gift that changed the world. The gift that changed the world. Now, I want to do a little bit of table setting for this series. I want to do a little bit of backdrop uh, context for you. It, 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 we heard in a couple verses in, Paul says, to the churches in Galatia. Now, that doesn't mean anything to us. And we're like, I don't know, where, where, where's Galatia? What's going on with the churches in Galatia? And maybe you're tempted to think, oh, well, the Bible is just the word of God. Does it really matter? It does matter. Because God's word comes to us through a particular group of people. And through a particular setting and context. So we're 2,000 years removed from this setting. And so it's tempting to be like, well, can I just hear it in my own ears? You could, but you might be mishearing some of these themes. So I just want to give you a little bit of, of backdrop. If you were to imagine a map, Galatia is far east of Rome and east of Italy. And so the Roman Empire, it's on the eastern edge of the Roman Empire. It's all the way out there in modern-day Turkey. It's a little bit northwest of Jerusalem and where uh, many of the Jews would have been living at the time. And so it's closer to their world but far from Rome, but it's part of the Roman Empire. And one of the key questions that surfaces again and again, and in fact is the reason why Paul is so worked up in this letter, one of the key questions is how do Gentile Christians belong? 
It's a question of belonging for Gentile Christians. And I want to show you three challenges of belonging for these Gentile Christians. Just to set the, the context for you, set the table for you. This was a big deal. If you're wondering, maybe you're new to this stuff, you're like, well, what's a Gentile? A Gentile in the Jewish way of thinking is anyone who is not a Jew. Anyone who was not a descendant of Abraham, anyone who was not the chosen people to whom God revealed himself, gave his law, and made his covenant with them, it was all the other nations of the world. And around the time that this letter is being written is there are some Jewish followers of Jesus who became Christians. It's not quite the same as saying they, they changed religions, not quite. They saw Jesus as a radical fulfillment in an unexpected way of something that they had hoped for. But now Gentiles were coming in, and in a way, Gentiles in different moments had tried to become Jews themselves. They tried to become Yahweh worshipers, and there was a term for them. But now there were some Gentiles who were saying, actually, we're Jesus worshipers. And these Jewish Christians were like, what do we do with you? And there's three complications about that. The first complication is about is a social or political complication. It's about belonging to society. Rome built a massive empire. And if you imagine that stretch from Rome all the way to Turkey or from Italy all the way to Turkey, you're thinking, that is a, how did you keep that united? Rome had a couple of genius ways of keeping things united in addition to their military. But one way of keeping the empire united was they gave regions some freedom. And they said, okay, these tribes, these people, these regions, you've got your own little deity, deities, you've got your own gods and rituals. Okay, keep all that. In fact, we're an empire that will allow lots of religions. In fact, you, we need all of them. But what's going to unite us is we're going to give an ultimate allegiance, almost a kind of worship, and in some cases outright worship, to the emperor himself. And so there was this sense in which the Caesar was divine, and that was the God of gods, or the Lord of lords. And then there were sort of regional rituals and stuff, and they said, sure, just go ahead and do all that. Do whatever you need to do to keep your society intact, to keep your community bonds strong. But they made one exception for one group of people, and that was the Jews. Rome discovered early on that the Jewish people were a bit of a nuisance to Rome. These were people who didn't have idols and didn't have and wouldn't go along with these customs. And Rome said, okay, you know what, you know what, you know what, fine. Go ahead. You don't have to worship all the regional gods and you don't have to follow the social practices. You don't have to do that. You just, you're Jewish. You can do your own thing. Fine. Just pay your taxes. Okay. But what began to happen now is Gentile Christians start coming to church and they're saying, we, we need to get in on that Jewish exemption too. Now imagine for a moment, just use a little bit of imagination. Imagine in our day if all of a sudden Christians were given tax-exempt status. Now you're like, oh, it would be nice. <laughs> now I don't mean nonprofits. I don't mean when you give. I mean as a Christian, you don't pay income tax. Like, you don't have to file taxes. You're like, oh, glory, tell me more, Glenn. Just imagine. This is an, a, a, a what-if game. Imagine if word got out that Christians don't have to pay taxes. What would start happening to church? <laughs> All of a sudden, people start coming. Oh, I'm a Christian. I've, I've always been a Christian, actually, you know. Not only would the government get suspicious, but who else would get suspicious? Christians would get suspicious. It'd be like, I ain't never seen you here before. 
but you've got a lot of money, so okay, come on, you know. It would create, this is the kind of thing that was happening. Rome was getting suspicious, saying, what's the deal with all these Gentiles saying that they get in on the exemption status? And Jewish Christians were like, whoa, 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 if you guys crowd in our world, what might happen to our exemption status? You're threatening us. So Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem is like, look, guys, we just negotiated this exemption status, and you're about to jeopardize. So there was an issue with where do Gentile Christians fit in, the society, in society. But that also created, as you can imagine, an issue of belonging with the church. Not just a social political issue, but you might say an ecclesial issue. Where do we belong? And so in church, they started to kind of say, well, you know, you know you're a Gentile follower of Jesus, but I think it would just be better if you became more Jewish. And they're like, okay. And they're like, well, I mean, like, just observe the Sabbath, don't eat pork, and men, we've got some really bad news for you. <laughs> I'm going to have to be circumcised. I can say, what? I'm good. I, I'm, I'm out. So stuff in the church that, and these Gentile Christians are like, is this real? Like, is that what, I, nobody told me I, was, I didn't go to that membership class. And then thirdly, it created an issue of belonging to God. So not just social, political, not just ecclesial, but you might say theological. Fundamentally, the issue for Gentile Christians was, well, are we like the, the second-rate citizen? Are we like kind of the, 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 in the old British novels of a stepchild that's supposed to be kept away in the attic? Like, what, what, what's going on here? And the church in Galatia was, was being ripped apart because they said, oh, we will worship Jesus, but you guys stay over there and we'll be over here. Now, if you hear echoes of this and you think about uh, the period of segregation in the, in the U.S., you, you're right to hear some of those echoes. And the letter to Galatians makes us think differently about the gospel. It doesn't allow us to think about the gospel in a private way. Remember, this is a revolutionary gospel. And today in part one, we're going to talk about the gift that changed the world. So turn with me to Galatians 1 verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul starts all of his letters with grace and peace. You could open any one of them. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Read all of Paul's letters. Somewhere in the first few verses, he says grace and peace. This is his signature move. This is his secret handshake, if you will. This is his uh, church gang sign, if you will. Like, he's, grace and peace is his move. But what's different in Galatians, and you see this in some of the translations that are a little more literal, like ESV or the NRSV, what's different in Galatians is he carries on his sentence. He says, grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who? And he goes on to say a bit more. The word grace... In the Greek is just the word charis, which simply means gift. Gift. It is a gift. And gift giving was common in the ancient world. But Paul's about to show us how this gift is different than any other gift. And so I want us to look this morning at five things about the gift. Five things about the gift of Jesus Christ. Or you might say five reasons the gift of Jesus Christ changed the world. Galatians 1 verse 4, the first part of it, he gave himself for our sins. The first thing we note is that the gift was sacrificial. Now, I don't know if you've ever had conversations with your friends who are not 
followers of Jesus or not Christians, and they kind of distort the story a little bit. Like, oh, Christians, you're super weird. You kind of believe in a sort of divine child sacrifice, right? Like a father gave up his son to die, like super weird. And you're like, oh, do I? I don't think that's what I believe. But you're like, John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And you're like, oh, yeah, well. But Galatians, Paul makes a point to say the son gave himself. Both are true. The, the son's sending, the father's sending, and the son's self-giving are the same move. It's the same event. The father's sending and the son's self-giving are the same event. So in Galatians, right at the beginning, it says, Jesus, he gave himself for our sins. This is also echoed in John's gospel, where Jesus says, no one takes my life, but I lay it down. Later in Galatians, Paul will echo, consciously or unconsciously, who, who knows, his version of John 3.16. He says, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. John says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only Son. Paul says, yeah, true. And the Son loved me and gave himself for me. So this gift is sacrificial. Secondly, this gift... The rest of Galatians 1 verse 4, so that he could deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Secondly, this gift was saving. It wasn't just a gesture. Sometimes you'll hear maybe Christians who are trying to move beyond the scriptures or move into their own version of the gospel and they'll say, well, the cross was just sort of God setting an example for us. Paul's saying, no, 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 it's much more than that. It's actually saving. It wasn't God saying, this is what love looks like, now you go and do likewise. It is that, and it was saving, because we actually weren't ready to do that. We can't do that. We are in need of saving ourselves. So this gift is saving, but I want you to look a little bit closely here at this phrase. It says, deliver us from this present evil age. And you, may, you don't have to be a Christian for a very long time to think of salvation, consciously or subconsciously, as saving from a place. Maybe some of you are like, well, yeah, we were saved from hell to heaven. Or maybe others of you are like, well, we're saved from earth to heaven. Or maybe you remember those old tracks where it was like, man's over here, huge valley, and then heaven is over here, and then the cross is the bridge, and we're like, whoa, I could get from here to there. And we think about salvation in terms of a place, but Paul's not talking about a place. Paul's talking about a time. He's saying this present evil age. We're not being saved from a place, we're being saved from a time from an age. And actually, when you read the Old Testament, if you've ever tried to do like a Bible in one year thing or whatever, and we're attempting that right now, there's lots of days where you're slogging through it. And if you slog through books like Isaiah or some of the prophets, you'll hear Isaiah say, look, it's the, the earth is going to be redeemed. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. Or Isaiah is not talking about a different place. He's talking about a different time. He says there's going to be a time when the lamb will lie down with the lion together. There's going to be a time when a child will lead them. There's going to be a time when all the nations will come and worship on this mountain. So he's not changing location. He's changing time zones. And so Paul picks up on that. But here's, here's the difference. 
Jewish, the Jewish thought in the first century was not, they were not asking, if you, if you were to interview a Jew in Palestine in the first century, they were not saying, when will Yahweh get me out of here? No, they would have said, when will Yahweh come and end this wicked reign? When will he end the reign of wickedness from Rome? They're not looking for a change of location, they're looking for a change of age, change of dominion. But there's one big difference about the Christian innovation. Paul's saying, actually, you're being saved from this present evil age, but it's not a clean break. It's not like this age ends and then boom, the new age of Christ and the Messiah and the kingdom begins. He's saying, actually, there's an overlap. And you're going to be people of the age to come while you live in this present evil age. Now, you're like, Glenn, this is super confusing, man. Yes and no. Because actually we kind of get this already. For example, when does summer end? Exactly, said the school teacher. But technically, when does summer end? September 21st, the autumnal equinox. True, but who cares? Right about now, it's like, it's over, people. And if you're connected to a school, you teach in a school, you have kids that go to school, you're like, ain't no more summer. And if you're not connected to a school, you're like, good, now's our time to get a vacation and it's not going to be crowded anywhere. True, true. We know what it's like to live in one age, but already be functioning on a different era, different time zone. Christians have not changed location yet, but we've changed time zones. And the the saving work of this gift is to put us in a different time zone. It's to say, look, look, the world is evil around us. You read the news today and the Taliban taking over Afghanistan. You read that and you think, that's evil. It is evil. It's not as if Jesus came and woohoo, it's all tiptoes through the tulips. It's not. It, it ain't pretty. It is an evil age, and yet we are people that are leaning into the age to come. We've been rescued from that. Okay, the other thing about that verse is the word us. Galatians 1, verse 4, look at it again. So he could deliver us. If you're the circling type, circle the word us. And it seems like a small word. Well, why are we focusing on the word us? Because Paul is putting everybody on the same ground together. Now, in other letters, in Philippians, Paul will talk about his pedigree. He'll say, look, you want to go there about Jewish credentials? I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I'm a tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I mean, he goes down the list. And then he says in Philippians, he says, but I count it all as rubbish. It means nothing. And here, he's trying to get the Galatian Christians to recognize the gift of God levels the ground. He's trying to say, there's nothing about my pedigree that earned this gift. And so there's nothing about your past that disqualifies you from this gift. There's nothing about my pedigree that earned this gift. And there's nothing about your past that disqualifies you from this gift. This gift forms a new us. It forms a new us, or to say it a different way, the gift sets us in a family together. It's not just sacrificial and it's not just saving. It actually sets us in a family together. Paul uses this word us, but he also uses the word father three times in these first four verses. That's unusual. Father, father, father. Not only that, he says, 
And I'm writing to you from Paul and all the brothers and sisters with me, he says. Some translations say, the whole family of God with me. There's family language again. Later in this letter, and if you read it in one sitting, you really see it. Later in this letter, Paul will talk about the Holy Spirit gives us the spirit of adoption, sonship, family language again. In other words, Paul's saying this gift is so radical, it actually creates a new family. And you may not have wanted a new family. Too bad. <laughs> now, there are gifts like this, and I don't want to... I don't want to romanticize or idealize adoption. Those of you who have adopted understand the different challenges that go with it, but you also understand that the gift of adoption is a gift that creates a new family. And all of a sudden you say, these are now your siblings. And you're like, they are? Yeah. This is now your brother. This is now your sister. This is now your mother and your father. And Paul uses adoption language to say, we're going to talk about family in a way that goes beyond bloodlines and it follows one person's bloodline. The blood of Jesus creates new brothers and sisters and new family together all of a sudden. The unity of the church was so important to Paul and so central to the gospel that this is why he's upset in Galatians. This is why he's irritated. He's irritated because they're questioning his authority as an apostle. We'll see that. But he's also irritated because they have created divisions. And Paul understands that the most radical thing about the early church was their unity. Roman society was so divided. I know, I know many of us are like, man, I don't ever remember living in a more divided time. That's true. In our memory, maybe that's true. But <laughs> the church in Galatia is like, hold my beer. We'll show you divisions. They had, they had all kinds of stratified societies. In fact, in a Roman society, men and women couldn't often be in the same social setting together. Couldn't be in the same table together. Men would eat first, then the women later, or maybe in a different room. Because we didn't want anyone thinking there was fornication going on. Not just men and women, but there were divisions by class. And so if you were a household servant, you didn't eat until the household master was done entertaining. And there were all kinds of divisions, not just by gender, but also by status. And then not only by status, but you see now in the church, a division by ethnicity. Jew versus Gentile. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not us. That's not the way we do it. That's not, you can't eat that. We don't eat that. And Paul wants them to know the radical gift of Jesus Christ is so powerful that it, it sets you in a new family so that there's no longer, what will he say in Galatians? There's no longer male or female or slave or free or Jew or Greek, but one new family in Jesus Christ. One new family. And he's not eliminating our distinctions. He's tearing down our divisions. He's not eliminating distinctions. He's not saying we recognize that men and women are different. He's not erasing distinctions. He's eliminating divisions. He's saying this stuff is not stronger than Christ in you. The Christ event, the Christ gift is stronger than all of that. It's meant to set you in a new family. You know, I said Paul says grace and peace all the time, but the truth is we might say that Paul understood that grace produces peace. The gift of God produces the peace of God. 
And peace in this rich Jewish picture is not like kumbaya in the absence of war. Peace is shalom in the Hebrew sense. It's the world being put back together again. Peace means right standing with God. And peace means right standing with one another. In, other, in, in Paul's other letters, he'll say, now we have peace with God, Romans 5. But Ephesians 2, he'll say, Jesus has become our peace that's broken down dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles. You can't talk about grace and you can't talk about peace without talking about the vertical and the horizontal. It's not the gospel if it's just about Jesus and you. That's what Paul wants to get through to the Galatians right out of the gate. He's saying, don't you for a minute turn this into a private personal gospel. Don't for a moment make it about Jesus and me. This is about all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Galatians 1 verse 1, the first, working backwards a little bit, you see Paul with a bit of this edge, this chip right out of the gate. From Paul, an apostle who is not sent from human authority or commissioned through human agency. He doesn't say that anywhere else. Why are you saying this, Paul? Probably there is some chatter about Paul being second rate. Well, you're not Peter. I mean, Peter was like with Jesus, you know. You're not James. He's like the half-brother of Jesus. He's down in Jerusalem. I mean, Paul, take it down a notch. He's like, you know what? I wasn't sent from Jerusalem, which means I wasn't sent from humans. <laughs> but sent through Jesus Christ and, the God, the Fa- and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Listen, the word apostle to us after 2,000 years of church history, the word apostle sounds very pompous. You know, like if someone came, you know, if Jason next Sunday was like, I'd like you to now call me Jason the Apostle, you know, <laughs> it'd be like, dude, uh-uh, ain't going to happen. We love you. But if I started doing that, it'd be like, take it down a notch, pack him, you know. But he's not pulling rank. He's talking about purpose. He's saying, I was sent. I'm the messenger. I mean, does the UPS guy knock on your door and be like, hello, I'm the UPS guy. And you're like, yeah, so give me the package. Bye. I'm the UPS guy. Okay, give me the box. Paul's not pulling rank. He's stating his purpose. He's like, I'm the messenger. And then every messenger knows it's the one who sends you that has the authority. It's not that your authority is is a contingent authority based on whoever's sending you. And so Paul says, okay, I'm not Peter. They didn't send me. I'm not James. No, they didn't send me. You want to know who sent me? Jesus sent me. And the Father who raised him from the dead. Yeah, I saw the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, and he'll tell us about this. But the fourth thing we see about the gift is that the gift actually sends us out into the world. It's sacrificial, it's saving, it sets us in a new family, and it sends us out into the world. Some gifts come with a purpose. I don't know how many of you are Marvel fans, the Marvel Universe. I'm trying not to give spoilers, but you've had time, so it's on you. But at the end of Avengers Endgame, Captain America gives his shield to Falcon. And I know, I know. What? I'm not telling you what happens to Captain Rogers. But Disney Plus did this whole mini-series on Falcon and the Winter Soldier to show us what Falcon does with the shield. Now, what does he do with the shield? Gives it away. Gives it to like, okay, go ahead, just take, put it in the museum or whatever. And then they make some sort of fake Captain America, you know. 
And the whole mini-series is trying to show us the, the complexities of society and his own insecurities and all of those interwoven layers until he finally realizes, Cap gave me the shield for a reason. I am Captain America. And sometimes I think, I wonder for us if we recognize that the gift of Jesus Christ comes with a purpose. It didn't just come on purpose, it comes with a purpose. And you might say, well, I mean, I'm not an apostle. Are you sure? Because Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father sends me, so I am sending you. That was our gospel reading this morning. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And you're like, me? You? Chad Van Horn, the apostle at Lockheed Martin. You're like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, you are. What if tomorrow morning you wake up and you say, you don't say, oh gosh, my Monday. I got to go to NORAD, AJ. I got to go do some coaching from people, Christy. I got to do... What if you look at your calendar and you're like, hmm, the Lord Jesus Christ is sending me into these meetings today. I mean, like, like what if, ask yourself, what would it be like if the Father sent Jesus to your calendar this week? You'd be like, that'd be some interesting meetings. My kids will have another thing coming, you know, maybe. <laughs> now flip it and say, actually, as the Father sent Jesus, Jesus is sending you to your children this week to your hospitals this week, to your cubicles this week, to your carpool this week. Oh, Lord, help us. <laughs> the gift sends us out into the world. See, modern evangelicals, we separate conversion from mission. Like, well, I've, been, I've experienced conversion, but do I really have a mission? I mean, that's for those missionaries. No, that, Paul was like, it's together. When did Jesus call Paul to himself? Road to Damascus. When did Jesus call Paul on a mission? Road to Damascus. Same thing. When did Jesus call you to himself? Oh, I got saved back in 97. Great. And when did Jesus call you to be a missionary? Same day. Same day. Same day. When he called you to himself, he called you to a mission. The gift sends you out into the world. And then the last thing, Galatians 1 verse 5 Paul ends it, and he can, I love this because it seems like, I, my personal bias, I think Paul was a worship leader and a songwriter, It's my personal bias, and a theologian, you know. Verse 5, he's done, he says, to God be the glory forever and always, amen. And it was probably one of those modern worship songs that just repeat the line over and over again, you know. Because Paul knows this gift sparks worship. Number five, this gift sparks worship. The sacrificial saving gift that sets us in a new family and sends us out into the world also sparks worship in our hearts. There was a Jewish philosopher around Paul's day. His name was Philo. And Philo said the reasons for praising God was nature, the God's gifts in nature and creation. That's great. It's good. It's good. It's not too unlike what the Psalms say. Praise God for creation. The Psalms talk about praising God for creation, and the Psalms talk about praising God for covenant, his promise and commitment to them. But Paul says, we're going to take the picture from creation to covenant to Christ. And he says, when you really see the lens click into focus, you're going to, your heart is going to explode in worship. See, we, we live in an, in an age where people want to say generic things about religion. So some deconstructed deconverted Christian or person 
on Twitter said a couple weeks ago that Christ is just a fancy word for the universe seeing itself. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> or sometimes, people, you know, I, I, I have a friend who's like, you know, I just feel like the universe has been really kind to me today. Well, who should you thank for that? Which part of the universe do you thank for that? And we want to say generic things, the universe, the force, the divine, the ethos, the age. The... But Paul knows the more specific you get about the gift, the more explosive your worship will be. And so he says, I'm not just talking about the God of creation. I'm not even just talking about the God of covenant. I'm talking about the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. (laughs) Professor John Barclay, a professor of New Testament at Durham University in the UK, says it this way. He says, the saving initiative of God creates new realities without regard to conditions of capacity, status, or moral worth. Leave that quote up there and think about the gift of the Traeger. (laughs) This friend who gave it to me had no regard for my conditions of capacity. Glenn, do you have hours to spend on the weekend smoking? No, I do not. Okay. Do you have any rank as a meat smoker? I do not. Do you have any moral <laughs> worth? I, I have zero. In fact, I, I was against it. I was an enemy of barbecue. <laughs> I was anti-barbecue. <laughs> but while we were still enemies... <laughs> God gave his gift to us, not because, oh, you're so good, you've got capacity, you should be a Christian. You would be a Christian. You deserve to be a Christian. No. God gave the gift to us, not because he looked at us and said, you're the right status, upper middle class, live in Briargate or East of Powers, you're just right for us. <laughs> nope. Moral condition, you've had some screw-ups in your life, but nothing major, no prison time. You're great. We'll take you. This is a gift that comes with no regard to our earning or deserving. It was not an inevitable gift. It wasn't like, yeah, well, we had this coming. Of course we did. Neither was it a proportional gift. It was a gift that was super abundant. It was over and above like, what did you do, God? You gave what to whom? Right. You gave your son for them? Yes. And Paul says the moment you think it's them and not also you is the moment you stop thanking God. But once you understand this gift is wow, now the only thing that's left is to give thanks. The early Christians called the coming to the Lord's table, they called it Eucharist. Eucharist is the Greek word that simply means thanksgiving. Eucharist, thanksgiving. It just means thanksgiving. What are we doing every week when we come to the Lord's table? It's thanksgiving. It's Christian thanksgiving every Sunday. But instead of turkey and mashed potatoes, it's like a little wafer and a cup of juice. (laughs) But in the middle of that little word Eucharist is that other Greek word charis, which means gift. It's the gift that results in thanksgiving. It's grace that results in praise. Just bow your heads this morning as we get ready to come. And I want you to fix your eyes on Jesus, to think again of the gift that was sacrificial and saving, the gift that sets us into a new family, family, the gift that 
sends us out into the world and the gift sparks worship in our hearts. These are going to be themes that we'll revisit throughout this series. Let's think on Jesus even now.